Welcome, my friends, to another episode of Is That Really Legal? with Eric Rubin. Today, I'm going to be talking with Sarah Solomon. She is funny. She is lovely. She has a book out called Guac is Extra, and so am I. We talk about that. We talk about her start in small town Massachusetts, her journey to Philadelphia, and ultimately the big bad city of New York, which we love very much. Um, and we talk about the changes that New York City has gone through. You may hear <laughs> New York City behind me. This is my studio, a.k.a. a bedroom, and it's about as soundproof as I can make it. So it really is the big city, folks. Um, but there have been a lot of changes here because of the pandemic, and we talk about that. Um, it's pride, and I just want you to know when you're going out there, you want to look your best. It has been proven that listening to this podcast makes you attractive. It's just a fact. I don't make these things up. And if you want other people around you to be as attractive as you, you should tell them about this podcast. You can subscribe to it. You can get other people to subscribe to it. It's available where everybody gets their podcasts. Uh, you can rate it. You can write and ask me questions at isthatreallylegal.com. Um, you could also shove an Abe's muffin in your face. They taste great. They are allergen-free. I can't promise you'll look better as a result of eating them, but you will be happier, trust me. That I can guarantee. Um, I hope you're staying well, and I hope that you enjoy this chat with the lovely, talented, and funny, even though she sometimes doesn't think she is, but I think she is Sarah Solomon. Sarah Solomon, welcome to Is That Really Legal with Eric Rubin. Thank you so much for being here today. Oh, thanks for having me. Happy Friday, by the way. Oh, happy Friday to you, too. Um, uh, we're going to get right into it. I don't know you. We've spoken for probably 30 seconds before I started the podcast, but I know you from Twitter, which is the uh, talk about a double edged sword. Twitter giveth and Twitter taketh away one's sanity. Um, I basically continuously am or continually am amused by you. And I mean that not in a condescending way, but literally you are amusing. You are funny. And uh, over the last several years, funny has been a rare commodity or it's been, uh, it's come with a whole lot of other baggage. And I just, that's my wife in the room next door sneezing. So you're welcome to that. Um, uh, I, I just want to talk about you because um, I think more people should know you. I, I'm So how did you come to be? Where did you show up from? What is your origin story? Um, so uh, I'm from outside of Boston, grew up in Sharon. It's this um, pretty, it's not that much, it's not that Jewish, that Jewy anymore. Um, but yeah, 20 minutes south of Boston, went to school in Philly and landed in New York. So I've been there since I've been here since like 2011. What's interesting that? is that I lived in Natick for 20 years, my exile. Oh. So I'm fully familiar with Sharon and there's a big Jewish cemetery there, if I'm not mistaken. It's like all the Jews left or died from Sharon. Just oh yeah, my family's it. there. Yeah. <laughs> went to my Nana's funeral. I was like, dad, why does everything say Solomon over here? And he's like, you idiot. <laughs> <laughs> So that was fun. Um, but yeah, no, I've uh, been in New York for, God, uh, yeah, 2010 too. So a while. 
Um, seemed like a New Yorker and... to me, and I mean that as a tremendous respect because I'm a native New Yorker and as a result, incredibly arrogant. Um, <laughs> and so you went to school in Philly. The fact that you said that makes me think you went to Penn. Is that accurate? No, I went to Drexel, but a lot of my friends went to Penn because, ah. I mean, you can't throw like a Bud Light in a sports bar without hitting someone that went to Penn. So, I mean, they all came here. The Drexel kids stayed in Philly. That's for people who don't know, Philly is a very big college town. You have Temple in North Philly. You have uh, Penn, which is really West Philly. Drexel, which is right, my memory is it's close to the train station. Is that accurate? Yes. Yeah, it's right near the, um, so there's this hideous concrete building that's the closest to the train station. That's where I lived for two years uh, because my parents always wanted me on campus housing because West Philly is not fun. Um, I mean, it's fun, but it's not, in terms of safety, it's not the greatest. It's great until dark. Yeah, no, one of my friends actually got shot, like, like, God, yeah, no, um, but the good news was they usually went after Penn students because they're definitely a lot more wealthy than the Drexel students. So we, um, uh, it took me a while to, uh, I, whenever I'd hear like a, a car tire pop in New York, I'd like duck and people were like, what are you doing? And I was like, I just spent four years in West Philly. Leave me alone. <laughs> yeah. I lived in Overbrook for a while when I lived. So I lived in Philly. The reason I know that I started as an attorney in Philadelphia and center city. So I knew all of that Philly area, but I was there right after they bombed Literally, the, the city bombed its own city. Uh, that was part of something called Move. I don't want to get too lost in the weeds on that. There was a lot of crack in North and West Philadelphia, which decimated that town. When I left, not as a result of me leaving, but it seemed like the city kind of started to get back on its feet. Was that your experience or did you feel like, eh? Oh, it's a beautiful city. Um, I loved it. A lot of my friends still live there. They all bought homes because things are actually more affordable there. Um, it, uh, um, I just wanted to write and I felt like New York was a better, I felt like I either had to go to New York or LA. Right. And that's understandable. The entertainment scene or publishing scene in Philadelphia is very small. Plus it's less than a hundred miles from New York. So you might as well be in New York. Yeah, I know. Um, trying, like in terms of publishing, I mean, Quirk Books is amazing. Um, they're right out of Philly. They did the yes. Pride and Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Um, Eric Smith. Uh, Eric Smith's. Um, he did the Geek's Guide to Dating, and he's a slew of other um, books out right now. He's um, a great guy. He's a brilliant writer and a literary agent. Yeah, he's great. Oh God, yeah. What I loved about Philly was that it was so small. So. Um, you got to know people in the scene pretty quickly and it was just such a nice friendly atmosphere. So I don't have anything bad to say about Philly. It was just, um, it's, uh, it was just, I just knew I needed to come to New York. Gotcha. I think I got out of a terrible first marriage as I left Philadelphia. So there might be some of my own personal baggage there. Um, I've been (laughs) back since and I've had a lovely time there without that wife, that (laughs) ex-wife. So move along, uh, collect and trade them, as they say. Uh, let's move along to uh, your career. Once you got out of school, did you immediately come to New York to write? Um, I had a friend lie to an HR person and say that I had already graduated. So I um, started at, I actually skipped my Drexel graduation to pack for New York. Um, I started immediately at a, a, one of the big ad agencies. And then right before Thanksgiving break, they laid off 
two of every freelancers from every team. So they canned a lot of us and then tried to hire me back at a lower rate because they're like, oh, you wanted health insurance, right? Like, here's um, here's an corporate America, all at corporate America, just generous and loving. Yeah, just great. Um, Yeah, started an ad agency. And then after I got let go, I was like, well, I want to. Uh, I was like, I'm like, what are my dream jobs? I'm like, I want to write for Ralph Lauren. So I looked and saw who I knew there on LinkedIn, ended up there from left the Ralph Lauren editorial team to go to Brooks Brothers. So I was on the editorial and social teams there for a while. Um, Spent some more time in the fashion world and then went into journalism, got laid off because I mean, who doesn't get laid off in journalism? Uh, wrote the book and then went back into an ad agency. So yeah, good times, a lot of layoffs, great well, times. So at, much fun being a millennial. <laughs> as, the ki- as the kids say, there's a lot to unpack there. What I like to say <laughs> is there's a lot to talk about. So let's do that. Um, I know you probably don't want to name any ad agencies. I'm, I'm going to use some initials. My brother worked at YNR for a while. I don't know mm-hmm. if that, those initials mean anything. They probably do to you because they're yeah, huge. Yeah, they do. Right, but that wasn't, uh, I worked across the street from there for a long time in a law firm. I was shocked, I don't know if you were, by the the models that would come in and out of that building that looked like they were from another planet. They didn't look like people. There's just no, and by the way, I, I personally found them strange because they looked like something other than a human being in real life is that too weird or did you have an experience like that or I mean yeah I used to um I had to go to shoots like I was there for the fit models um and I mean there are like two different types of models there's like the luxury models who are like extremely tall and thin and look otherworldly because they're so perfect like an Anya Taylor-Joy but then there's also like the fit models who um like they're there to like their sample sizes. When you go to a sample sale in New York, some of the samples are like we're tailored to the models. Like for women's the size four to six, for men's it's like a medium. Right. And by the way, um, I just I have to point out I was a model and I'm not trying to be funny, but I was what was known as a character model. When I was an actor, I did a lot of print shoots for companies where they needed a goofy tech guy or a guy who looked like a lawyer. And so I would do those shoots and I would show up at, then they had go sees. You didn't have a digital printout. You had to go and get looked at and get a Polaroid taken. So I'd go to the modeling places and I was the antithesis of those, speaking of Ralph Lauren, the guys and, and Brooks Brothers, the young guys who walk off the page who are like, oh my God, that guy is the platonic ideal of a sweater wearing preppy dude. And I was me. <laughs> <laughs> so it, they weren't asking, oh, what are you here for? They knew what I was here for. Anyway, yeah. um, the writing copy for fashion is, uh, it, well, you know, if you don't know it, you wouldn't even think about it. But what there must be incredible challenges. We're not just talking about catalogs. We're talking about promotional, excuse me, promotional materials, PR materials. Well, I mean, what was involved? A um, little bit of everything because you have to do ca- um, from like a print standpoint, there's catalogs and mailers and you have to tailor it to the audience. Um, and then there's also like web, emails, out of home, radio ads, uh, social is its own animal because you're just, you have to write for a whole different vertical. 
Um, so you just kind of have to train yourself to write for everything. The hardest thing is just writing the same thing season after season, because you have to make it sound fresh, but like you're selling the same things. Like you're going to sell coats in winter, linen in summer. And um, I, I'm more of a, I enjoy like, I enjoy more classic fashion. So of course, like <laughs> nothing's going to change. It's, you just have to make it sound fresh every year. The two most classic brands I can think of are Brooks Brothers and Ralph Lauren, because in many ways, Ralph Lauren really just updated and gave better fits to Brooks Brother ideas. I'm not saying that it's like Brooks Brothers, but there's nothing crazy, at least in the in the consumer level of Ralph Lauren. I'm not talking about, you know, the more avant-garde fashion stuff, but when you go into, let's say you go into the Ralph Lauren store on Madison Avenue in the 60s, um, that mansion that they remade into a Ralph Lauren store, which by the way, for those of us who like fashion and have sort of a fantasy about living the Ralph Lauren lifestyle, when you walk in there, you're like, oh my God, like how much does it cost for me to live here? Because this is beautiful, right? I mean, that mansion yeah. is amazing. But when you go in there and you, you know, you make a left if you're a guy and you go into the, it's been a long time, so it could be different. There's a purple label and a black label, but ultimately they're very beautiful clothes and they're made beautifully, but it's not the same as Armani. It's not, it's just much more of an American look. And is that what you're saying when it's not going to be a big challenge year to year? Oh, no, no, like not, I didn't mean to undermine the content. Um, well, I'm not saying just... you are. Uh, no, it's just like, like blazers, dresses, like shorts. There's only, um, it's the looks are going to change from year to year, but like the staples are going to remain the same and you have to, um, and those are like, so for example, like Brooks Brothers, like white shirts, like God knows how many emails I've written around those. Like, (laughs) so. Right. If you go to blue, you're swinging out when you're a Brooks Brothers person, a blue, a blue shirt, or maybe even (laughs) salmon or pink. Not everybody can do. I can't wear pink. It looks like something oh, no. happened to me. Oh, they have a ton of pink and blue over there. They're they've got it going on. Oh, well, good for them. I by the, I have no intention of bad mouthing either of these places. And if you work for either of those places and you want to give me free clothes to talk about you, you can go to isthatreallylegal.com and leave me a <laughs> message. I'm happy to do that sort of thing. Uh, or if you feel that I am, you know, being unfair to those tiny places please let me know um uh but i've i've spent many dollars at both of those places and i have been saddened by seeing there were some great brooks brothers stores that i used to frequent the one downtown near wall street is gone the one on broadway i think by um i forget the name of the square but yeah it's um yeah, it's right by Zuccotti Park. That's and um, fun fact, it was used, that store was used as a morgue during September 11th because it was the closest um, store that wasn't destroyed. Wow, I, I didn't know that, but that totally makes sense. Yep, and now it's an Amazon Go. So just walked by it the other day. Um, I live right there, so. Uh, I think in a weird way, that's more upsetting to me. <laughs> yeah, an Amazon no, store. I know. Yeah, no, Occupy Wall Street was right there. There's so much history down there. And to just see, um, just coming back to Fideye and seeing like that all the stores have, not all the stores, but so many of the stores have shuttered and how much has changed. I was on the Upper West for four years and I moved back downtown because I got five months free on an apartment because they are giving those things away right now. 
Yeah, I moved, I was, my office was on Broadway and Fulton and I moved it to Wall Street, which is kind of weird for me, but it's crazy convenient. Although I just don't go anymore because I live in Brooklyn, but it's a two subway stop ride on like seven different lines, or I could walk across the Brooklyn Bridge on a beautiful day, which I have done. Um, but when the few times that I've been there since the pandemic started, it's like a, a bomb went off, not because anything is broken. It's just everybody's gone. And, and the stores are just gone and restaurants are gone because nobody is, the financial district, as you call it, FIDI, it, it is a thriving subset of New York City. So as you know, and I know, for people who aren't in New York City, there's many New York cities. I mean, me, most people think Midtown, you know, or Upper West or Upper East, but the financial district is a whole other city unto itself. And it is an empty city right now, for the most part, in my experience. Is that kind of the deal? Um, yeah, it's slowly coming back. Um, so the thing with the financial district, well, as you know, like it's a, there's a lot of young people down here because in terms of full service, like luxury amenity buildings, they let you come in here with like three to four people in a one bedroom. So for most of my 20s, I was living in the financial district and in like fake rooms because I lived with finance guys who could afford their own rooms, obviously. And like they built me one out of like the living room with like the half walls or whatever. Never sure. doing that again, never having a roommate again. But um, it's it's wild to see um, how slow everything is, but it's going to pick up again. It's just that I, I feel like a lot of people that were living in these buildings, their parents were paying for it. And now it's like, um, you're not working in the city anymore. I'm not shelling out three grand for your stupid studio. Right. And, you know, back in the eighties, when I had an office on park row, um, it was very much not a residential place. It was a place full of offices and then there was this major shift where either people worked from home or offices got converted to smaller offices. And these buildings that are now these beautiful amenity-filled buildings used to be office buildings. When I was, you know, first out of law school in the 80s and at, at a certain hour, they like rolled up the streets down there in the financial district and they were like tumbleweeds. It was empty. Now it's a whole vibrant community with if they're still there, restaurants and bars and kind of a, a nightlife unto its own, certainly pre-pandemic, is you feel, you feel like it's going to come back. I mean, it has to come oh, back. Oh, definitely. Are you kidding? Yeah, no, this is, um, I mean, clearly the pandemic was awful. Dear God, never, may we never go through that again. Um, but at least I feel like this is an opportunity for more creative people to move into the city because the rents are so cheap right now. Right. I, 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 mean, I agree. Yeah, there was another, the building next to mine that I um, I was considering moving in there. And I'm living in a converted bank right now. I almost moved into another one next door. I was only looking at places that were offering two-year leases because, like, God forbid I move every year that I can't think of anything worse. And they were like, oh, we'll give you seven months free in a two-year lease. Seven Unbelievable. months. Unbelievable. And this is a very beautiful luxury building. Like, I, it's insane. And then, like, a week later, they're like, nope, JK, now it's five months. So I, I went to a nicer building that was also giving me five months. And hey. it's not that much. Um, my landlord didn't lower the rent. So it was only like 80 bucks more than what I was paying for a fourth floor walk up. Like, it's ridiculous. For people who aren't from New York, um, the notion of free rent only a few years ago or any months uh, free is just astounding. It's un unheard of. And they would 
literally raise the price as you were thinking about moving in. Now it's such a, a renter's market, at least for now. I, I suspect, Sarah, that in a couple of months, we may be in a whole new ballgame, depending. Because I think there are a lot of people who've always wanted to live in New York. And yes, I'm talking to you people in Hoboken and Jersey City. <laughs> and they're, they're poised. They're like doing their math, trying to figure out if it's going to happen. Um, and the moment they can pull that trigger, they're all going to be coming in like hordes of barbarians across the river. Yeah, I called you Jersey people barbarians. Sorry, I'm a Long Island kid. I guess that wasn't cool. Anyway, um, let's talk about your more... See, what's interesting to me is I think talking about your work for fashion is incredibly creative, that work. I know we're going to talk about your book, which I think is an awesome title. Um, I haven't, I'm going to, I haven't read the book, but I, I want to read the book now, the more I've read about the book. I mean, it's for, it's for younger people. So I wouldn't like if it's for um, like twenties to early thirties. So it's really not for older people, but it's a great gift for, it's a great graduation present. I'm sure I could find a young person to explain it to me. Um, And hopefully I won't break my hip laughing. Uh, reading it by so people who don't know it's called guac is extra and so am i oh but so am i but so am i and well i mean i get the reference because every time i go into a chipotle uh (laughs) which hasn't been a while um but when you go into a chipotle and if you want guac they invariably will say it's extra um i assume other places do that as well I'm willing to spend another dollar, dollar fifty for guacamole. I don't know about you, listener, uh, but this is apparently. I assume it's somewhat of reference to that. But also, there's that. There's also the expression, "She's really extra," or "She's bringing extra," or maybe again, "I'm older." Maybe I'm not getting it. Why don't you talk to me about the title? Oh no, it's totally correct. It's about um, embracing um, yourself. Um, and no matter how extra or, or outrageous you are. And um, I got the title from my Twitter account over the years. I make sure I write down like all the tweets that are the best engagement. And I wrote that one like six or seven years ago before like the avocado zeitgeist happened. Um, so I knew, I mean, it's not my favorite, but I knew it would do well, especially for SEO. And it really, it really contributed to the success of the book because that's the title was the reason why it went into paper source and Nordstrom and places that had um, like in avo- Francesca's places that had like avocado like themed displays. So I just got lumped in with the rest of the gifts and that's why it's doing so well. For people who don't understand, sometimes I do have to take a pause moment to explain certain things that you, you just assume everybody knows. And I understand why you would assume that, but SEO is search engine optimization. I assume if you listen to a podcast, you know what that is, but if you don't, I'm not going to explain it all. You can Google search engine optimization, but it's very important. Um, But also, um, (laughs) I love your expression, the avocado zeitgeist, which sounds a little like an unknown book of poems by, you know, Kafka or uh, I I don't know what. But in in any event, uh, there was a period where suddenly avocado toast was the thing. I don't know when it happened. It was suddenly everywhere. And then millennials were being blamed for ordering. They, they were blamed for not being able to afford a $3 million apartment because they were spending $8 on avocado toast or something like that, which was, everything about that sentence was ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, is that, are you kind of talking oh. to that? 
Oh, definitely. And that was also like folded into like the title as well. Like it was written by a millennial for millennials and zoomers. Um, and it's just, I mean, I feel like the whole, like you're not gonna be able to afford a home because you're spending so much on avocado toast. That was fully just clickbait. I mean, it's, I, it's almost akin to like the peas and guacamole New York times recipe that we all got so upset about before Trump happened. And then everything just went out the window, anything that we could be outraged about, it just pales in comparison to everything that came after. It, it reminds me a lot of, uh, I used to be an avid onion reader, uh, the onion newspaper slash magazine, whatever. And there was at one point a headline after nine 11, I think it was around then, where they had a picture of Britney with a snake around her and some other things. They said, America wants to get upset about stupid things again. Uh, in other words, things were far too serious and upsetting. And I feel like that cat, that sense also happened when you know who got elected and we were all looking at each other like, how could this possibly happen? And then every day was another like, I, I, I've been on Twitter and pretty engaged when I was a literary agent and then, you know, as a lawyer and uh, I, I enjoyed Twitter, but it went from being like, isn't this a fun place to meet people and say crazy things or read funny things or whatever to at four o'clock, you know, waking up early and picking up my phone to go, please God, what, what, what did that guy do now? What, what's happening? And just, uh, it was, I mean, is that, was that your experience of the Twitter change in 2016, 2017? It was, um, I was working as a journalist at the time and social media was part of my job. And I, it, the mental health implications of just those four years on top of literally everything else. Um, I'm never going into journalism again, because that was my actual nightmare, just having to actually report on these terrible things and pay attention to it. And I mean, not that I'm like tuning out now, but just having to <laughs> relay the information and knowing it well enough to relay it, I, it just broke me. I can't do it. Yeah. I, and by the way, uh, you are so not alone and I'm confident you know that, but I just saw an article today about how the last four years uh, affected heart patients. <laughs> and like they're, they're documenting now that a variety of health issues were exacerbated by four years of horrific government. Um, I can't, if you're a Trump supporter, I can't believe you're listening to this, go F yourself or go to <laughs> isthatreallylegal.com and tell me why you like him. I don't bother. You know what? Don't. Anyway. Um, you're not listening. There's they're not listening. No. <laughs> they're like Eric Rubin. Oh, I know who he is. I know that name. I mean, he's, inter <laughs> he's interviewing a Sarah Solomon. They live in New York and they're talking in Massachusetts. Dear God. We know they're they're the problem. They're why I no longer have a job in an auto factory or whatever. Anyway, um, I mean, we can't, there's so much there. I'll just say that I'm fortunate enough to have friends literally all over the world. And after having visited Germany a lot, Berlin, Hamburg, Cologne, I thought I might be going back there. I might be fleeing the United States to live in safety in Germany. And if I had said that to my parents in the 60s, less than 20 years after the war was over, they would have thought I was insane. But these are the kind of things that came up for people my age and people like me. And by the way, I, I don't think I'm any more crazy 
or paranoid than any other person like me. I mean, what what was your sense as these things were going on? Were you like, wait, I read about this stuff in history books, but really? I just can't believe we're doing this again. And uh, like, why do people hate Jews? I really, I don't get it. I just don't understand it. Like we're nice people. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm sorry if the Kugel didn't get fully digested. I don't know what to say. I just, but yeah. I, I, mean, I I'm not thrilled with bagel prices either. It's, I mean, you, you got to live with it. Oh, uh, what's funny is that I've ne- I've traveled across this country when I was a stand-up and also working with a famous author. I literally drove across this country. I've been to like 46 states. And um, everyone was very nice to me. Uh, with the only thing that sort of shocked me were there were two southern states where I saw things that I will never forget. And I think that most Americans... Well, I'll say this. Most New Yorkers don't know what America is. And I think even most Americans don't know what all of America is because nobody has driven all the way through all these states. And in retrospect, now that I think about it, we shouldn't be surprised. I shouldn't be surprised. Look, I'm going to out it. Alabama. I drove in Alabama and I got onto a highway called Martin Luther King Jr. Highway. And there's a big sign and it said Martin Luther Jr. King Highway and underneath in parentheses, enacted by statute. And then he quoted the statute. And my intuitive hit was, you know who made us call it this. Oh my God. Ugh. It was not like proudly, like I've never seen enacted by statute on a name for any other highway in the entirety of the United States. I just think that's a glaring example of systemic racism i'm calling you out alabama i know it's a daring move for new york to do but yeah i mean i just i thought we were over this and clearly we're not but but what's been interesting for me and and tell me what it's been like for you because i should really listen to what you have to say um i feel like i've pretty well educated four years in a good college three years in law school i had no idea about the tulsa massacre I had no idea about some of the history of police forces. Even the 13th and 14th Amendment's histories were more revealed to me because I saw documentaries created by Black documentarians like uh, Ava DuVernay, I'm I'm saying that right, a great, great uh, documentary called The 13th, I think. I mean, have you, you know, what, what's your take on all of this? Are you discovering things? Are you, well, I'm, I'm asking you as an ambassador of your generation, no pressure. Um, so <laughs> I was extremely embarrassed that I didn't know about like Black Wall Street and other, like Black Lives Matter movement was, it, it needed, it, it, the whole, just, it's just, I'm so embarrassed and so I can't believe all this stuff was happening. And like, I acknowledged it, but I didn't think it through all the way that the, this, all the systemic racism and just how everyone was being consistently screwed over generation to generation. And that just, this has to stop. So I'm, um, I'm trying to make it like a more concerted effort, effort to like watch a lot more black TV and read more by black authors and just try to, do more outside my own comfort zone because this is 
we, we all, I mean, I just know I need to do better and I'm hoping I'm better in the future. I, I agree with you. I mean, honestly, I'm trying to have as many women, as many queer people, as many people of color. If people go and look at the backlist of the uh, episodes that are available, you'll see that. I mean, it's, I'm not trying to, you know, create a Noah's Ark experience for people, but I do think that, let's face it, though people I just, or classifications of people that I talked about, just don't get seen, heard. And as a result, they get minimalized and marginalized. You know, I've said this a couple of times, black trans women are getting murdered at a ridiculous rate in this country and nobody talks about it. And that's just one tiny example. Um, so yeah, I appreciate, by the way, humor, I'm gonna shift this a little bit. Humor, I feel is one of the greatest tools we have. And I find you to be very funny. Let's talk about funny, cause boy, do we need to. So have you <laughs> always been funny? And like, how did that manifest itself? Uh, I, I mean, I don't, I, it's a hard question. Like, I don't think of myself as funny. I just think of myself as Sarah. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know. I didn't have a lot of friends growing up cause they were, they thought I was weird. Um, read all, I, so I write all the time and I think just consistently reading all the friggin' time, um, really, really helped. Um, I liked being outside and all that stuff. So I think I have humor as self-defense, um, to get rid, I don't know, get rid of trauma. I mean, I had a great childhood. I should shut up. Um, it's just like, I'm not, I'm like, if I went back to not to sound like a total bitch, but if I go back to my high school reunion, I'm gonna be like one of the hotter people there. So it doesn't really matter. But like back in the day, kids are really cruel. Right. I, I totally agreed. I mean, there are people who approach me on Facebook, you know, like I said, I'm going to be 60 this year. I still haven't gotten over how they treated me in high school. So I'm not friending them. I just, it's not going to happen. Um, I, I'm just, you know, why would you do that? Who were the people that you were reading who had a big impact on you? Um, like the Jane Austen types, honestly, I, I read a ton of historic, not historical fiction. Um, I, I mean, God, I just, a litany of the classics, but what got me, um, I'm, let me walk over to my bookshelf because I'm blanking on their names, but the first time I really got into parody was um, Martha Stewart's excruciatingly perfect weddings and Martha Stewart's like, it is entertaining better than you books. And it's by Tom Connor and Jim Downey. And I didn't realize that like satire existed until I read those and it just like changed my life for the better. Wow. And then I just- yeah, but you know what? And Jane Austen, in a weird way, is has a satire and humor in her. Oh yeah, no, she's she's hilarious for her time period. Right. I, I, I yeah. So it's it doesn't surprise me that you'd be drawn to her, as opposed to you know Shelley, or you know Frankenstein is not your jam. You know, I, I don't think. Yeah, I know. I started reading a bunch of Shelley biographies over the pandemic because, oh my God, I did not realize all that stuff with her mom and like her husband and her sister. Dear, oh God. So. Heavy. Yeah, Heavy love the goths. <laughs> love goths. <laughs> I like the music more than the, the writing. But um, uh, when you did find the satire, did you get gravitate yourself to certain TV shows or movies or, you know, like oh. I read The Onion and I thought that was awesome. Mm -hmm. Did you have that experience or? I mean, I grew up watching The Simpsons. Like my parents wouldn't, so I, um, 
anything that would, they wouldn't let us watch things that were violent, but things that were funny, they were like, whatever. It's like, it's like we, they enjoyed watching TV with us, like great parents. So, right. I mean, I feel like I had, a, I had a really warped sense of humor when I was growing up, A, because of my parents, B, because I watched so much funny TV. So, um, the Simpsons were incredible. And, and by the way, I think many of those episodes still really hold up, including the brilliant. musical. The musical episodes are fantastic. And they told the future too. Do you, I mean, I know it's like there with all the episodes combined, there had to be some similarities, but consistently like everything from like that shot of like Trump on the escalator um, as president to it's the litany of things. Yeah, there were some great, I mean, there are some brilliant people who wrote for that show, including Conan, but besides Conan, I mean, uh, yeah, there, there's just a lot of creativity in that room. And then of course the people who, did the voice work and all of it were great. Did you um, did you like Futurama? I watched it, but um, I I think I was older when it came out, so I definitely mm. watched a lot more of The Simpsons. Right. Uh, but I feel like I've watched most of the episodes of Futurama. I mean, right. the pandemic broke broke my brain, so I've literally seen everything. <laughs> I know. I feel like everybody's getting asked these kind of questions like, so what have you been watching during the pandemic? And it's like, oh, I've, I've avoided the Tiger King. Like I can't, I'm not doing that or some of the crazier reality stuff. But what have you found yeah. yourself doing? Oh God, yeah, no, I watched a ton of TV. Um, I couldn't think until we knew we were getting the vaccine. So I honestly couldn't start reading until a few months into the pandemic. Cause I was just, it honestly just in shock. And I- <laughs> Oh, I'm with I you. I I didn't. I haven't read anything of import uh, during the pandemic. I I listened to some books on audio, but I was really grateful to have so much work to do. Um, I'm not boasting. I'm just. There was a lot of. I do a lot of independent criminal defense, uh, public defender type work, which I could do from the moon because it's all appeal stuff, and I write things and research them or whatever. So I didn't have to go into courts, but. If I didn't have that to keep me busy, it's not even a question of money. It's just like to keep my brain busy because like crossword puzzles. I mean, like I felt in a weird way, like I was in a really comfortable hospital bed <laughs> because we were all isolated. Yeah. You're going to say something. Yeah. Oh, no. I was, yeah. I like tried to write and I just hated everything. I mean, I ended up, I'm like halfway through a novel, but I'm just, it took me so long to get started again. This podcast, frankly, is um, was a godsend for me. My wife, before the pandemic, was like, you should do a podcast. And I was like, I thought about it, but everyone has a podcast. And they will like say, oh, I'm sorry, we're full up of podcasts. Please go away. Uh, but, <laughs> and, you know, uh, it's been cool to see people and meet people um, because I purposely, like, I've gone out of my way to start talking to people who I enjoy on Twitter, like yourself people who I, you know, don't hang with. It's not like you and I are going to hang. Uh, but the, you know, I, I like seeing your sensibility. I think you're funny in the same, I don't know if you had a chance to see, for instance, Fran Leibowitz's, that, that interview series that Martin Scorsese did with her, Pretend It's a City. I feel That's like- great. Yeah, I, okay, so I knew, I had a hunch that that would be in your wheelhouse. Did you like that as much as I did? I loved it. I'm just so jealous that she's gotten by on, on doing so little for so long. 
like she is the writer's dream doing as little as humanly possible and just making money off of it that's your takeaway yeah i mean she's brilliant i she um like she is like the defining new york satire it's it's her I, I loved her statement and I've tweeted it a few times. Nobody can afford to live in New York, but we do. And nobody knows how we do it. Oh God. Yeah, I know. It's, I have three jobs right now. Everything's great. <laughs> um, do you, have you seen people say, screw it, I'm out of here? People that you were friends with who just like left New York? Yes, but I'm also in my early 30s. So a lot of my friends are definitely in that, like, maybe we should move to the suburbs sort of um, mentality. But I feel like it's people who would have left anyway within the next five years. This just kind of sped things up. It made me realize that I liked my life in New York too much to leave. So I stuck it out and um, just was in the fetal position for about six months. It was great. Well, speaking of the fetal position, I want to get back to the book because I think a lot of people who are listening are like, wow, I'd love to write a book, but I have no idea how to do it or what to do about it. Your book is not the usual kind of book that people do that with. A lot of times people are like, well, I have a novel in me or because your book's not a novel. Your book is, how would you describe the book? It's a mix of anecdotes, life advice and advice from people who I think are the best in their fields. Like for example, Jim Cramer is in there, the former um, uh, site director for town and country, um, New York times editor. Like it's just people, uh, Vox editors. It's people who like I admire and I wanted to get their take on certain things and they spoke about it. And also like, I um, I'm an extremely immature 32 year old. And um, if I, I wish I had someone hand me something when I graduated being like, here's all the shit that you should know, but no one's going to tell you like how to move, how to clean, how to pack, how to um, everything from finance, putting everything on autopilot, um, how to navigate dating and apps. Like I even go over like how to make the best like app profile you can. And I also illustrated everything because I'm insane. Um, and I went to school for design and I like painting on the side. Yeah, for people who don't know, Drexel is an excellent design school. Um, Top uh, 10, baby. Yeah. Um, so, you know, having been a literary agent, if that came across my desk, you know, I would be like, this sounds really cool. I have no idea what box this goes in. I'm not a fan necessarily of putting things in boxes uh, in order to sell them. But I think, as you know, from fashion and writing in general, at some point, you kind of have to do something in that way. So what was your what was your experience getting that book published? You're with a great publisher based in Brooklyn. Um, and so can you walk me a little bit through or share your experience of getting that book published? So I emailed some agents and a lot of them said the same thing that you did that like, we like this, but it's already been done and we can't put it into like, a category and I was like all right so then I started talking to publishers and powerhouses like cool let's let's do it and I don't think I would have gotten the freedom if I had been with uh if I hadn't been with an indie publisher because they were like I I had a heavy hand in the design I worked with the designer um a lot god knows how many iterations of the cover when we went through the interior um and then just 
uh, even everything down to the icons, I picked them out. Like it was, it was truly a, um, I'm sure they were annoyed as hell with me, but you know what? The book's doing well. So I'm sure they got over it. Uh, you know, what I find interesting is that everybody thinks they know, you know, you ask 20 people, you'll get 25 opinions and you know, every literary agent who's listening, I hope there's a few will say, I can't believe you're going to say you can do this without an agent. I'm not saying you can or should, but you did. Um, and I think it's great to have an agent when you do. And I think it's great to not have an agent if you don't, if that's, I think you need to be in charge of your career and you need to do what's best for you. The only thing being a lawyer is like, oh God, I'm sure you had a lawyer look over your contract. Um, I have a lawyer now. My mom's a lawyer. So it was fantastic. <laughs> yeah, it was more touch and go. But um, the next one, because it's a novel and because I know it's commercially viable, I definitely want to get an agent for this one. Oh, that's a great idea. Um, working with your publisher, it sounds like you did you have one editor or a group of editors? I had two editors um, uh, because she ended up leaving for England. But um, it was amazing having like two sets of eyes on it. And so, it, I, yeah, and they're also my age and I just really respected the hell out of them. So like whatever, I, I didn't fight back on edits. I was like, yeah, hey, you guys know best. <laughs> are you, the most important thing I, I think is, are you happy with the result? Oh yeah, um, I'm very pleased. I did not expect it. It's already in fourth printing. I can't believe it, it did so well. No one knew it was gonna um, I cannot stress enough having it be a gift book helped it enormously because like it, it's like, oh, all right, the numbers are okay in like bookstores, but in gift stores, dear God, it like sold out immediately. And like Nordstrom, um, Francesca's had like ordered a ton. Um, it was a paper source. You can still find it in a paper source. I think it's the kind of book, regardless of the size, and I know it's a hardcover and I don't know the size, but I would think, God, this is a put it next to the cash register book because it's such a great gift idea. There is nobody who would not go, oh, yeah, I could get that for so-and-so. Or you know what would be fun? If I had that in the house and just left it in this room, or you know what I mean? Like, I just think it's, I think it's fun. I, and again, I haven't read it, but I've seen the cover and I've read about it. Um, a gift book, what a, what a brilliant thing. Thank you, and I think, I, I hate to say, it, but I think Instagram helped a lot because, um, I mean, influence, you give it to some influence, influencers, they photograph it. Obviously, they're amazing um, photo stylists and prop stylists. So just having it make, I wanted it to be a bar cart book. Like it's dark green, gilded edges. It looks like an uh, like one of the old school Brooks Brothers etiquette books. Um, That's so awesome. I definitely. I knew I wanted it to look elegant. And then it, look, it looks extremely refined. Then you get it inside and I'm like... <laughs> just talking shit <laughs> but oh, it's it's a pretty long book so what i like also is that you know social media is here um it's not going anywhere uh at least unless something terrible happens that we don't want to think about but you know twitter like i said double-edged sword instagram's a double-edged sword i uh, i think that all of us have had the experience of i have to unfollow these accounts because a, I'm feeling bad about myself. B, I thought I knew who that person is. Now it's just terrifying. Um, you know, all of you go through this, everybody goes through some kind of character arc, if you will, much like in the novel. You start out on Twitter, you're like, oh, look at all these fun people. They really like me. 
And, and then you're like, oh, wait, that person said a really shitty thing. <laughs> or, oh, my God, I had no idea that this person was a turf or like whatever, you know, and then mm-hmm. stuff starts happening. And uh, but you, you, you also have to find that art of going between buy my book, buy my book. And I'm just here for the laughs and kind of, you know, you I'm not a skier. I'm not even a sportsy guy, but for some reason, sports analogies are great. You know, you got to find the groove of what is, you know, let people know you do have a book. So give them an opportunity to engage about that, but also not, you know, have them engage about you and just also have fun in the process. Like, I know you come off as a somewhat cynical, jaded 32 year old, but the truth is, I think you have fun and you're enjoying this process. Am I wrong? Am I incredibly wrong? No, I I mean, I was, I mean, the book was the best thing that ever happened to me and it opened so many doors and it's, it, I don't want to say I feel complete, but I feel a little bit more fulfilled. And I just had, um, I, want, I don't want to say a rough time in my twenties, but I definitely was not getting paid what I should have. And it just makes the decade that I struggled here a lot easier to swallow. Cause I'm like, oh, something good did come out of it. Uh, we're not wrapping up yet, although we will in a few minutes. I would be remiss. People are not going to see you, as I promised. This is just audio, but you are wearing some of the coolest glasses I have ever seen, and <laughs> I couldn't not tell you that. Um, they're they look like a tortoise shell. They're kind well, of they're, a little oversized for my yeah. They're, I, I, I think they're the Everett from Warby Parker. They're the most obnoxious ones they have, and I have them in both colors, like. Uh, some guy I was dating was like, you really had to go pick out the weirdest frames possible, did you? And I'm like, dude, like, leave me alone. They're not weird. I think they're really awesome. I, I will use a phrase that is overused. I think they're fashion forward. I think they show that you have taste and they bring my attention to your eyes, which kind of is the point, right? And I'm wearing Warby Parker that my wife picked out for me. And they're just sort of clear... Um, they're gray. I'm incredibly gray. It all kind of works with it. I wear a ton of black. I live in Brooklyn, so I'm the black and gray guy that walks through Brooklyn all the time. I mean, yeah, you can't, I I think those are the frames I'm going to get next, but you can't go wrong with clear glasses. I mean, look good with everything. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Um, (laughs) Do you, because you have so much fashion experience, I'm just going to throw out some quick fashion questions unless you're like, no, 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 I just write about it. But like, do you see people making incredible fashion, what you consider mistakes that you just want to go up to them and go, oh my God, you spent so much money on that thing. You'd be better off just like, like, I don't know what, do you have any thoughts on that kind of thing? Um, I get upset when people wear things that are uh, meant for the landfill, like extremely fast fit. No, not in a style manner. I mean, like, we're destroying the environment. Like, do we really need this much clothing? Um, I make a concerted effort to shop secondhand, A, because I'm cheap, B, because like, I know like what the labels are and like, I, like the, if you know what you're looking for, you can find it for thousands of dollars less than like what they're asking for. You just have to put in the time and effort and like know what your sizes are and which brands you fit. What's the term for that? Because I've been, I saw a piece on this and like everything else, I get distracted and then it's gone. But I don't want to get sued by anybody, but there are specifically some companies that have like thousands of stores right here in New York City. 
uh, uh, H and whatever, um, let's as an example, <laughs> um, they sell like $5 outfits practically, and they're good for one or two washes, and then you have to throw them out. And I, it's this disposable fashion, although technically it's not supposed to be disposable. Is this what you're talking about? Yeah. And it's like, also the amount we're spending on rent, do you like, you're putting that in your closet. Like the closet space is worth more than your item at that point. Like, what are you doing? Right. So I, plus it's been my experience again, been here a while now. Um, classic looks are called classic for a reason you buy. I had a Burberry raincoat that I owned for over 20 years that the price tag was significant, but if you, amortize that over time, <laughs> you know, and it stayed in fashion. There were a couple of things about it that I, I had a friend take off the lapels because that started to look a little too Kramer versus Kramer. But, you know, <laughs> uh, and then I was able to wear it for a while. And a Burberry raincoat is just iconic. Just as an example, I'm not, by the way, I understand not everybody can dump a grand on a raincoat today. I'm not suggesting you do that. But you can go to a secondhand store and New York has some great ones. Do you have any idea? By the way, but I had no idea we'd be talking about this, but yet, do you, are there any places you're like, oh, if you're going to do secondhand, you should go to this place? So at the risk of sounding terrible, I don't really do. Um, I, whenever I go to thrift stores, I'm only looking at home goods because I have enough, uh. I have enough, I have more than enough clothing. Um, also, I feel like after girls came out because their clothes were thrifted, everyone started going to thrift stores. Like thrift stores are now the same price as retailers because re a lot of retailers aren't doing so hot. So I'm like, I would rather purchase, I would rather have a better shopping experience and get something that I need new because I have enough clothing that I'm not going shopping on a whim. Gotcha. Well, that's fair. Um, girls, what was your thought on girls? Oh, I couldn't. Um, I mean, it, I thought it was cool at the time, but now I'm just like, she literally got the show from, she didn't even like write out a script. She like had a pitch idea. So, I mean, not to shit on Lena, but like, it's like, cool. Congrats on being a trust fund baby. She, clearly she's extremely talented. I think she's an amazing writer, but it just like, <laughs> there's a lot of jealousy because it's like, I, there are so many like amazing comedians out there who I think would have benefited from an HBO show rather than Lena. <laughs> Yeah, I, I have to admit to you that I kind of hate watched the series and I don't mm -hmm. even know why, but I kept going, this is terrible. It's none of the acting was terrible. I can't explain why. And, you know, it's weird. Look, as a middle-aged guy, I feel like I, I almost really don't have the right to dump on somebody. Look, she's a woman. She's younger generation. We need to hear more people like that. So maybe I actually supported her by watching it. I mean, I still have HBO, right? I mean, yeah, no, you, you, um, you helped with the, I mean, you're another pair of eyes on it. You definitely helped. It also, it's like, it's almost, um, I, I, I would nearly bucket, bucket it with sex in the city as in like, we have, we've passed over this. It's, it's no longer that relevant. And I only watch sex in the city. Cause I'm like, this is so ridiculous. How did I think this was a great show when I was growing up? When I lived in Boston, I watched sex in the city primarily because I missed New York and it was Aww. the fantasy version of New York. Um, but trying to, I mean, and I liked certain things when Miranda got together with Steve, I cried. I mean, come on. Um, but, and oh, by the way, spoiler alert. I mean, if you didn't know that, you know, come on, the <laughs> show's been off the air for decades, but it can't be watched again. It's very hard to rewatch Sex in the City from my experience. It just seems 
frankly, outdated and strange. Yeah, and it's like, we know you're lying, and none of you have jobs except for Miranda. I mean, and um, Samantha. Um, and I guess to... Um, uh, How to about fix. someone who can write one column and live in that apartment and buy those shoes? Yeah, no, I'm, I work full-time at an ad agency. I'm on retainer for another large client, and then I freelance in my spare time, not that I have any, because no one pays writers. It's ridiculous. Well, how can people find you, your book, learn more about you? Um, so you can find me on Sarah Saul Fails, Twitter, Instagram. Um, uh, the book is being distributed by Simon & Schuster now. So if you go to the Simon & Schuster website, it's available wherever books are sold. Please order from me or Indie if you're interested. Don't go to Bezos as cheap as it is on there right now. <laughs> yeah, I hear that. Uh, that's a whole other many hours long podcast, but I agree with you. Is there anything you feel you wanted to talk about that we didn't get to? Um, happy that things are going back to normal in New York. It's, it's so nice to see us like be unified against um, a virus. I don't know. Yeah, that's great. I assume you've been vaccinated. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's Same um, here. yeah. <laughs> very, very pro vaccination. Extreme pro vaccination cried while it was happening i was so happy i isn't that interesting i had the same experience when i got the first shot i felt so emotional and when the second shot i walked outside and had to sit in a park near where i got it at Dwayne reed you know, like we were at that point by the time i got it and i sat in a very famous park and i just felt like everything was going to be okay it almost felt like the end of a war yeah and i felt guilty that i was so relieved i'm like i had it much better than so many people i mean we all did and it's just like are we allowed to complain i feel like we are but not at the same time i think it, i think if you feel connected to people you can feel that you at least have a right to uh feel emotional about it and i mean let's face it i think when you're living in the city you're connected to all these people you're feeling a lot of emotion just being in proximity to these people I mean, that's part of why you live in New York, isn't it? Oh, totally. Yeah. There's the, everyone is very different. I, the diversity here of everything and of thought alone. It's incredible. That's great. Well, I think you're uh, a good ad for New York City. I'm really thrilled we got a chance to talk. Thank you so much, Sarah Solomon, for being on Is That Really Legal with Eric Rubin. I really appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. wasn't Sarah Solomon wonderful, you can read her book, Guac is Extra, and so am I. <laughs> um, I will post on my website, isthatreallylegal.com, um, the information for Sarah's website, in case you didn't jot it down while you were listening. You can leave comments at my website. You can tell me who you'd like to see on the show in the future. Um, and you can even make suggestions about what you don't like. Uh, although I prefer the things you do like, obviously. I hope you also like Abe's muffins. They're allergen-free. They taste amazing. Um, and now that it's Pride, why don't you bring some muffins to your favorite LGBTQ, etc. friends and say, Hey, I love you, and we're all entitled to love. Um, I know that you are, listener. I guarantee you are. Um, go to the parades. Uh, keep living your 
truest self. Take care of each other, man. We, we need to keep taking care of each other. We're getting through this. I'm so excited to see people without masks on and see their beautiful faces. Uh, please make sure you got the vaccine and uh, take care of yourself. Be safe. I look forward to hearing from you and I look forward to sending you more great shows. Be well. Bye-bye.